This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror. This is a podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. What is on the examination table for this episode? Well, before we talk about that, I need to introduce my guest because we're talking about a pretty, I think, different kind of film than what has been covered here before, which I'm very excited. And of course, I couldn't do that alone. So welcome to uh, the pod, Devon Taylor. Devon is the co-host of Spectre Cinema Club and is also one of the, I think, absolute, um, I think, shining co-hosts over at the Pod and the Pendulum podcast. Excited to have you here. Oh, you are far too kind. Yes, uh, very much excited to uh, have a one-on-one, uh, you know, recording with you, you know, as much as, you know, it's always fun uh, the way we do panel style for Palm Pendulum. But, you know, I, I love me a good one-on-one as well. So I'm very excited. Yay. And and yes, that's right. I know I'm always really bad about like, oh, here are other podcasts that I have been on. Yes, I pop over on the Pod and the Pendulum. Uh, on occasion and have had the great fortune of being on a number of episodes with Devon. So while, uh, you know, this is his first time here, hopefully not the last, um, I, I kind of consider ourselves kind of podcast siblings and yeah, we definitely are, you know, between between Palm Pendulum and, you know, we also, um, you know, as I was kind of going through some of uh, the episodes of this pod, you know, some, we share similar guests. So, yeah, we are definitely pod siblings. Yay. All right. So as I like to do when I have a guest, I like to give the guest the honor of sharing what film we are going to be dissecting. So, Devon, what film have you served up for us? All right. So, uh, yeah, I, I picked an interesting one, I think, uh, is Swallow uh, from 2020, uh, directed by Carlo Mirabella Davis. Um, and I remember... Uh, having to defend this on my best of list that year of, you know, this was one of the ones where people were saying like, Oh, is this actually a horror movie? I'm like, I'm like, I mean, I think it, I mean, I very much consider it to be, but like also on a personal level, I think is where the horror kind of comes in for me a little bit differently. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to be, like I said, I think this is a slightly different kind of film. Um, You know, it's, I think a film that a lot of people would raise the question of, is it horror? Um, But I definitely think there's some horrific elements in it. And I like that now, I think we're much more open to embracing kind of the psychological components of horror as being really part and parcel of the genre. So yeah, lots of complexities in this one. So I'm going to bring forth good friend of the pod Wikipedia to go through our plot 
synopsis. So let's dig in. Hunter Conrad, a young woman from a lower working class family, has recently married Richie Conrad, a man from a wealthy family who's set to take over as CEO of his father's Manhattan Corporation. This affords Hunter the ability to stay at home in a couple's lavish upstate New York home. Despite this, Hunter finds herself emotionally stifled and isolated in both her marriage and domestic life, while Richie is distant and often inconsiderate towards her. For example, at a dinner with Richie's parents to congratulate the young couple on their pregnancy, Hunter is enticed by Richie to tell a story, only to be interrupted by uh, her father-in-law zoning out completely and asking Richie about business. One day while home alone, Hunter develops the impulse to eat a marble. She finds it exhilarating and begins to consume other inedible objects around the house, including thumbtacks, metal figurines, and batteries. During a routine ultrasound, the sonogram technician notices an abnormality in her abdomen. She is rushed in for emergency surgery to remove to remove a variety of objects trapped in her intestine. Hunter is diagnosed with pica, a psychological uh, disorder that compels individuals to eat inedible objects of no nutritional value. Uh, Richie's parents, Catherine and Michael, arrange for her to see a psychiatrist in the city. During her therapy sessions, Hunter says she swallows the objects because she likes the feel of their textures in her mouth. Richie hires Louie, a family friend and immigrant from Syria, to monitor Hunter while he is at work. And one thing that I think is important to note that, of course, is not mentioned in the Wikipedia description here, um, as I often, you know, I love Wikipedia, but the plot synopsis are often, uh, you kind of go in. It's a grab bag. It <laughs> it's is. a little bit of a grab bag sometimes. But this person is someone that had been hired previously by the family to care for uh, Richie's, I think, grandparent um, in kind of the end of life. So um, he's kind of reached out to this individual to uh, basically be a, a watch person over Hunter. Um, so Hunter, feeling, feeling smothered by this, is initially hostile towards the way, who dismisses her mental illness as resulting from her privileged life. In therapy, she eventually reveals that she was not raised by her biological father and has never met him, though she knows his name and keeps a picture of him. She was conceived as a result of her mother's rape at the hand of a strange man she had met in a bar. The rapist served time in prison for the crime. One afternoon, Hunter overhears Richie speaking with her psychiatrist on the phone and realizes Richie has bribed the doctor to tell him what was discussed in Hunter's therapy sessions. This sends Hunter into a panic, and she swallows a miniature screwdriver. The way finds her choking violently and calls 911. After undergoing surgery to remove the screwdriver, Michael and Catherine arranged to have Hunter committed to a psychiatric hospital for the next seven months until she delivers the baby, threatening that Richie will divorce her. Way, who has warned to Hunter 
allows her to flee into the woods and stages it to appear as though she had escaped. And again, to kind of tack on to this, there's a really touching, I think, scene that happens right before this whole sequence of her um, swallowing the mini screwdriver and the in-laws coming to have her committed. And it's Lue uh, finding her um, under the bed um, after a pretty trying episode. And he just kind of lays there with her. Um, and they both kind of fall asleep. And it's when she wakes up and he's still asleep, that's when she goes and finds the screwdriver. But it's it's very short. It's not a drawn-out moment between them. But in a film that has such cold um, and kind of transactional, um, I think, relationships, I just found that very, very moving that he would crawl under there and just lay with her. It's very sweet. It's a very tender moment. Yeah. And I think it speaks perfectly to why he would then allow her um, to escape so then Hunter hitchhikes to a motel and calls Richie, who begs her to return. She explains that she had rushed into their marriage and pregnancy to make him happy. When she refuses to come back, he chastises and insults her. Hunter smashes her cell phone and spends the rest of the night watching television and eating soil from outside. The next We've day, all been there. We've all yeah, been there. <laughs> I know. It's a snack of champions when you're down. The next day, she hitchhikes, she hitchhikes to the home of her biological father, William Irwin. At William's house, he is celebrating his birthday with family and friends. He and his wife, Lucy, assume Hunter is the parent of one of their daughter's friends, but she privately reveals to her, uh, reveals her true identity to William and also Lucy in this moment. Um, but Lucy uh, has kind of no idea who um, she mentions uh, the connection to her mom and Lucy has no idea. So um, I, I find that really interesting because oftentimes in these movies where you're kind of going through these types of exploration scenes, um, there's always like this, I'm going to tell you a little bit, but not everything. And she's just straight out like, no, this is who I am. You know this woman. You know what you did to her. So mm-hmm. here I am. Um, at William's house, uh, so he's celebrating his, he and his wife, Lucy, assume that Hunter is a parent of the daughter's friends because there's lots of other children around and she reveals who she is. Um, during an emotional conversation, William professes his shame for raping Hunter's mother. Hunter asks him if he is ashamed of her and whether she is like him, which he denies both. Having obtained closure, Hunter visits a clinic and is prescribed medication to to induce an abortion. She takes the pills while eating lunch in the food court and experiences the abortion in a public restroom. Yeah, I mean, that was actually kind of one of the more concise uh, synopses uh, on Wikipedia. So shout out to all the uh, contributors on that one. 
Yeah, I feel like they didn't really miss a whole lot of beats there. So one of the things that I like to to kind of start off the conversation, um, like I said, you had brought this up. Um, you had brought this film up as a suggestion, and I was really excited. Um, so I want to ask you kind of a two-prong question. First off, why? And second off, like, what it, what is your first kind of experience with this film? Yeah, so whenever I was trying to think of movies I wanted to talk about and which ones would relate to me, at least on um, uh, the, the similar level um, as the character, um, the, the other choice would have been Excision. Um, but I've already covered that one on a different podcast in, uh, in detail. You can go listen to uh, Horn Bloodfire for that episode. But um, so I picked this one. Um, it was a film. It's like one of those films, like, because this was the first time I've rewatched it, like since theaters, because it was one of those ones that was like I watched it once, but yet I would think about it all the time. Like I've thought about it so much since, even though I hadn't only seen the first time. And so so I deal with OCD. Uh, it. it unofficially technically uh my my therapist uh my last therapist was uh like one of those uh ones that like he was like technically unlicensed at the time because he was finishing up school you know um so so i didn't haven't gotten an official diagnosis but then the more uh research i've uh, i've done on the on the matter um definitely like it was just like oh like i had always had this mystery of like kind of what is the reason for some of the things in my head, you know, and then it just like kind of became very clear and, you know, and we don't really get to see OCD depicted in film all that often, uh, especially in other forms that just aren't germophobia and like cleanliness. Um, there's so much more and so many different versions of OCD and, and Pika is kind of a derivative of that as well. Um, so, so I kind of felt for Hunter in that way, of you know this um this uh you know she she has you know these routines that she like goes through every day because she doesn't have a job she's able to just kind of be the housewife and um you know and when she kind of starts swallowing these items it you know it, it gives her something that is like finally hers but uh but the the compulsion angle is just like kind of very fascinating to me because uh i definitely one of my biggest fears is like the idea of like anyone or anything besides myself controlling my body. Um, it's like kind of part of the reason I'm not very religious because I don't really like the idea of God's plan kind of controlling me in that way. Um, but then, you know, because like body control is kind of like, you know, one of the, you know, one of the few things that is, you know, wholly your own or at least should be. Um, so the idea of, you know, watching Hunter be controlled in uh, so many different facets of her life was absolutely is absolutely terrifying to me, um, you know, so uh, and I really love the performance by Haley Bennett in this like she is doing some phenomenal work uh, of really bringing you into this world that she lives in that uh, feels almost not real, but it totally is, you know. Um, so, yeah, like the, the this film. Um, I, I definitely kind of saw myself in a way of like w when compulsions, like even though it is like a dangerous one that she's dealing with, it doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Like these, you know, compulsions can kind of bring you a sense of uh, 
I won't say joy, but a sense of uh, kind of fulfillment in in an in an interesting way. Um, like uh, kind of the more safe version for me is like tattoos. Like uh, I I love getting tattoos, and I'm like I kind of like the pain of it. Like it's a it's an interesting feeling that I definitely kind of crave out, but it's like this kind of controlled pain in a way. And it also results in something beautiful as well, you know? So it's like, so, so I have, you know, so it's like, I don't know, maybe a hunter just need to go get some tattoos rather than uh, swallowing thumbtacks. Um, but, you know, I kind of had that parallel and, and, and it's not that like, I love pain, but I love, I love the idea of getting past pain, getting over pain, uh, is a very uh, interesting feeling for me. And like, I, I get like a fulfillment out of it. So it's like, I almost could see a hunter maybe having that in a way uh, with these, uh, with swallowing these objects. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in this film that just uh, kind of, even though like, you know, I'm not a woman, so I don't have like the, uh, the, the like kind of pregnancy and body things that uh, she deals with. Um, but I still saw myself in her in, uh, and, and just felt so, so much for her and this kind of lack of control that she has in her life. Yeah, that's how you, you bring up so many, I think, really great points. Um, I think one of the things that's so interesting is that she has almost like this moment of euphoria when she swallows the marble for the first time, because it feels like she's sticking some kind of claim Mm -hmm. on her own body that this is something that she can do no one is telling her yay or nay um and she can act on something that she wants um as opposed to kind of being controlled um but as you know the objects that she starts swallowing um and taking in become much more dangerous and i think dangerous to uh, dangerous with an intent, I almost say. Um, because one of the things that I I find really interesting in watching this is that she keeps the objects mm-hmm. that she swallows. Organized too, which uh, also uh, was very satisfying for me. Like, I don't know why. It's like, I love the, the organization of it. But I think that this speaks to this being, a, I don't know, I feel like this is almost like a a ritual and a good event, a clearing event for her when she's able to swallow these, um, these objects. And I've been involved in the local kink scene and BDSM and like being involved in that scene is very much about like, all right, my first go, you start out mm-hmm. very, very light. Um, but then you start to be like, okay, this really worked. I can ratchet that up a few, a few notches. So let's try this. Um, and I think that with her afterwards, you feel it's, you're a little sore and you hurt but you're like i did this Mm -hmm. like the marks on my body i did this i actually like it's not that someone did this to me 
we did this together mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool um yeah almost like ear gauging for her in a way and like you know she like is you know uh, expanding that whole you know ever so much more yes now one thing that you mentioned in the notes that i want to hit on is um you made a note about really feeling just anger for hunter and you kind of compared it to how you felt about rosemary and rosemary's baby do you want to expand a little bit on this because i thought that this was such such a, a kind of a brilliant point to make yeah, like um, Rosemary's Baby. I mean, I, I feel like there's so many parallels. Like, I, I would have to assume that the director had direct inspiration uh, by it, especially like even um, uh, the the line about uh, when the mother's like, hey, you should uh, grow your hair out. Like, you know, like that's, you know, even one like that was like one of the small things that started in Rosemary's Baby of all these people trying to make these decisions and choices for her. Um, so like, I have to ad- imagine it, it was a pretty direct inspiration, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, uh, two stories about, you know, like autonomy of their body of a, a privileged wife to a degree that is, you know, uh, suffering because of that privilege. Um, uh, and like, is it kind of at the mercy of all these other people around her? Um, you know, and, and at least in this, it's not, you know, the whole town, um you know controlling her like she really only deals with richie her parents and like uh and the therapist uh for the most part um but yeah so it's like uh you you kind of watch it and um there's you know gaslighting from richie in the way that he's like oh no like whenever he's asking why she does this and like why he didn't or uh, why she didn't tell him um like why didn't you tell me about this before and she's like well i it i didn't have it before like it wasn't happening before and then like when she's like trying to explain it to him and he is and then he's trying to explain or change the reason for her uh like you know she's saying she's doing it because like she literally did say she's like because i wanted to and i made the decision it was something that i did and he's like no 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 you're trying to kill kill my baby blah 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 and like things like that so uh there's a there's a lot of parallels uh between the two films except for this one is uh not supernatural you know uh so it's uh very fascinating in that way yeah i i agree completely and i think also um you know there's the obviously obvious correlation with how uh rosemary's husband and I guess the cult that is kind of engulfed in the story um, is kind of pulling strings also with like doctors and other people outside of that specific circle in Rosemary's life. And you see that with Hunter, um, with the therapist. And also she's so upset um, when she realizes that Richie has told coworkers about what's going on with her. Um, so again, the she's very quiet a lot with Richie, very mm-hmm. kind of kind and, and soothing. Very she tries to have, I think, a, a stereotypical almost like 50s housewife demeanor, but she like it cracks so easily just because it's not a human thing i think uh for her 
It's not something that she's attuned to naturally. And so she she kind of lets her anger and upsetness come through, especially when she realizes that she's been betrayed like that. She mm-hmm. didn't give consent for him to speak out about her. Yeah, the 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 like kind of position of like housewife in a way, because you know, a lot of times we'll see in movies where like it is like kind of forced upon them this like kind of role. I think to a degree that she does want that because like you know as we kind of learn later on she didn't exactly have you know the regular uh family dynamics growing up or that saying quotes regular um but um uh the the family dynamics that you know she kind of wanted and so yeah i found it interesting that it was kind of depicted in this uh yeah very 50s style like i mean she's like cleaning her house like in a full-on dress and heels it's like wait what like this is you know that's very odd but like it's like a a specific image um that she's like kind of going for but then once the 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 pregnancy comes in that's when um you know and richie is kind of one of those guys that like you know feels you know very much entitled to her uh to the uh, baby in that way um is kind of when the veneer of it like starts to slip a little bit and she's kind of seeing uh, the flaws in this kind of role that she is playing uh, in a in, in a certain kind of way, and and yeah, the 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 betrayal that she feels because again, like uh, you know, she it, it just like kind of reinforces like throughout the film, like because I think it's a very specific that like um, all the things that she swallows are just like are these like random objects, um, right. are, are these like little random trinkets and stuff, and like. And that's kind of what she is to a lot of people. Like she's kind of his play toy in a way of like, you know, like, Oh, here's my wife. And then like, but then like the parents kind of treat her like a pet in a way. So it's like they, they, uh, everybody treats her as like some sort of different type of object, but nobody treats her like a human, you know? Right. That's, that's a really good point. And I think that that's why she and Lue end up having a very different kind of relationship because I think he does see the humanity in her and starts to, to, to understand her a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Cause he's also a possession to the family pretty much, you know, exactly. like in a way. Um, yeah. And I think that especially when you get to the end of the film, she's in the food court and she's just dressed like anyone else right Mm -hmm. to where every other like when she has been with Richie she's very much in dresses and this very stylized kind of version of herself in the role of wife so um yeah I I I really like kind of that connection to Rosemary's baby and I think you're also getting a bit of that isolation um because there's never any like, hey, why don't you invite some friends over? Why don't you, no. you know, this group is getting together. Why don't you go hang out with them? Yeah, it's like she, like, again, like she very much just only exists in their world, you know, like, yeah, like she doesn't like talk to like, you know, the only thing you see is like she has a phone, but she just uses it for games. She doesn't, she's not texting or calling any friends or family or anything. Um, she's not hanging out with other people like you know so she very much is 
uh, again, just like kind of existing in his world in this uh, kind of in this role, you know, and it's uh, very isolating, even though she is like kind of, you know, surrounded by people a, a lot of the times throughout this film, but the, but they're not people, they're not her people, you know, and like, um, I think, you know, that even kind of comes in, uh, in that one scene, whenever, um, Richie and his friends come home drunk, uh, and they're like, you know, like doing whatever. And, uh, there's a scene where you kind of think that like one of the guys is like being like a creeper and you're like, Oh, is something like really bad about to happen to her. Um, but then he's just like, I'm lonely and I could just use a hug. And this is yeah. finally someone else, uh, asking her, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, for her to do something for them, but she is, but, but doing it in a way that like, yes, like it's still a thing, but like she, you know, actually feels like she is providing something real for, for that person in that moment, you know? And like, so like, you kind of see like, you know, little glimmers of, you know, what it would be like if she actually did have her own kind of people, like, you know, she doesn't have any friends, but she gets, you know, a moment of satisfaction, like, helping someone else in a friendly manner, you know, uh, which I found a uh, very fascinating and interesting scene. Yeah. That is a really interesting moment because I think it's also consent, right? Like mm-hmm. he says, can I hug you? Um, and I think that the line is like, well, I can't kiss you. So I just want to hug. Um, like it's someone who's understanding that there are obvious boundaries um and he's not necessarily wanting to cross them and i think that she reacts to that i also think it's really interesting um in one of the sessions with the therapist she at the end hugs her and i've been in therapy i've never hugged my therapist um like love them they are amazing but there's just something like i don't know like is that is is she doing that because she she needs that closeness and she feels like this is someone that's listening to her um and she's responding to that to be like yes i want to hug you because this is this is what closeness can be Mm mm-hmm yeah and it and i think it you know kind of goes to this like recurrent actually hold on one sec Cal's being a little gremlin Sorry, I haven't put my laundry away and he's having a field day right now. Oh my goodness, you little gremlin. I um, I have a cat, so I get it. Um, but I'll pick back up on that spot. Um it, it kind of keeps going, it goes back to this recurring thing that she also has, you know, like in these uh little instances of her exercising control. Because like you said, like uh he does ask and it has to be a consent thing at first. She's like, no, no. 
And then whenever he like kind of drops the, you know, cause at first it was like, Oh, I'm drunk. Yeah, I'm too drunk to ask you a kiss. But then it's like, then you really see it in his eyes. He's just like, Hey, like I, I could really use it. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lonely. And then that's when she's like, yes. Okay. And there's little instances later on too, where she will like, you know, whenever um, she's like having sex with Richie and she's like, no, I want you to say, sorry. Or like, the moment at the end with the dad like no say i'm in charge right now you know so like she has these little moments where she does uh want to exercise control because it's just something that she doesn't get to do often right no that's i i agree completely um i want to switch gears just for a second because we've mentioned pika uh, a few times and, and maybe someone listening to this has no idea i know that we kind of gave a very general overview at the beginning of what it is but i i kind of want to give a more robust understanding of what pica is so yes it is the eating of non-nutritive non-food substances over a period of at least one month and this has to be behavior that is in keeping with an individual's developmental stage. And obviously another factor is kind of, you know, culturally or socially dormative behaviors. So lots of different factors can go into making this kind of diagnosis. Um, just as what we've talked about with just a few of the things that Hunter has ingested there can be um a a wide range of what people are compelled um to to take in this can be soil uh raw starches ice there's a scene uh in the film where she's at dinner which i think is really our first instance of seeing her dealing with pika um, is the ice the ice really kind of like enticing her um, in her drink um, charcoal ash paper we see her like literally eating the book that the mom gave her which so funny I, which I thought yes I thought that was a brilliant brilliant thing um, instead because, of turning the pages just <laughs> puts it in yeah. her mouth instead yes um, but also chalk cloth baby powder coffee grounds eggshells, and then obviously lots of other um, things. Um, So although pica is often seen in children, and I should note that it is important that this cannot be diagnosed in someone um, under the age of two, because if you have been around human beings under the age of two, they will literally put anything in their mouth Mm -hmm. so it makes no sense to diagnose them with pica um because that's just something again going back to that socially normative behavior um and kind of those developmental cues so um but it is also common in patients who have an intellectual or developmental disability it can be seen kind of as com comorbid with pregnancy um and 
it's defined as an eating disorder, but I think also it can, um, it's, it's a little bit more complex than say anorexia, bulimia, um, compulsive overeating, and that it can be kind of connected to not only, you know, what we talked about with the intellectual and developmental disabilities and pregnancy, but some other, um, kind of mental health issues, so schizophrenia and OCD. Um, and I find it fascinating too, that we don't really, we don't really get too many depictions of it. And it's also, uh, like, I feel like, you know, people also like kind of don't take it as seriously. Like, I feel like, uh, my strange addiction was not good, uh, for people that, uh, do suffer pica, you know, because then it was like kind of, uh, sensationalized and it was almost treated more like a fetish than a disorder, uh, which is, you know, very unfortunate. Right. No, that's exactly right. And it, it does bother me that even still today, I think that we do have a certain, you know, when those shows were coming out, um, I think we were, we approached those types of things very differently, but still today, um, you know, people can be really dismissive of like, what is actually behind, like underneath the surface of these things. Um, So no, that's, that's such, I think a great point. Um, There are a few things that I think can uh, trigger um, PICA. And I just want to kind of list those off. Uh, Stress, there's some cultural factors. So again, going back to the fact that in some cultures, there are certain uh, non-food items that people ingest um, regularly as, you know, a form of medicine um, or whatever the case may be. Um, learned behavior, uh, low social economic status, uh, underlying mental health disorders, a nutritional deficiency. Um, this is a really interesting one because um, you hear this a lot about uh, folks that will crave, like, or or will have like this impulse to chew on mm-hmm. like a penny or something metal, and they have an iron deficiency, and so. Um, uh, those can be factors, child neglect, pregnancy, epilepsy, and kind of a familial background as well. So um, there's obviously a lot of issues and complications that can come from PICA, especially in young children. This is seen as fairly benign, um, something to monitor. And obviously, if it doesn't stop, um, then it needs to be you know, you need to go through some proper interventions, but, um, you know, it can cause lots of issues. Um, obviously intestinal blockages, uh, mm-hmm. being one of the big ones. And we see that with Hunter, um, not to mention that if you are taking in objects like Hunter, like the screwdriver, the tack, um, you can be perforating parts of your GI tract. Um, and that's not good. Um, no. So you, lots of, of issues there. Um, 
nutritional issues. Um, obviously, these things are non-nutritive, but they can cause a lot of harm to your body. Um, and uh, also the fact that Hunter is pregnant, um, what that could do to the development of her child mm -hmm. um, as well. Things can be toxic, bacteria, um, all of these things. So um, that's just a little more in-depth understanding of of PICA. And I was uh, and that, and on this rewatch, I was honestly impressed with uh, the the amount of research that you know did go into the film because we see them go through a lot of these various things of like when they're trying to figure out what it is, whether it be therapy if it's a, a psychological issue. Um, we see like, you know, the mom trying to help switch her diet, you know, thinking that it's a deficiency in that way. Um, and like, and like even, um, you know, like when the doctor's like, hey, like, you know, like if, you know, like, okay, like, yeah, some of these items are like kind of innocuous, but like you swallowed a battery. And if that battery would have like opened up in your stomach, like it would literally kill you, you know, from the uh, acid in the battery. So it's like, uh, it, I was honestly very uh, uh, impressed with, uh, you know, kind of how uh, how thorough they were in uh, trying to help uh, the audience, like, understand, like, kind of uh, this, uh, you know, this disorder that, you know, a lot of people don't really have much uh, reference for other than, like I said, like, you know, either kids eating stuff or what they saw on TV. Exactly. And Obviously, I think the, the stuff that we see on TV is through a very specific lens. And I don't think, um, while it is depicting something, I think it's shown in a certain way that doesn't, I think, give the gravity um, to to what's happening as this does. You're exactly right. Um, I do like the moment. And it does seem with the in-laws especially the mom-in-law, we talked about the book that she gives her to be like, I struggled with postpartum. So here's a book um, to read because yeah, any issue that you have in life can be solved by reading a book that someone a generation older than you read um, because things never change. You're not a unique person. Um, so I, but that there does seem to be some genuine care when they're making a smoothie together because she's like, Oh, the brain and the body are connected. Your brain, like you're not getting the nutrients that you need. So we need to fix this. And of course, this is when Hunter is at kind of like her performance level 10. She's like, Oh yes. Thank you. So mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, the, you, you, that is it is interesting because like when you watch this, um, yeah, the nobody is I mean, until Richard toward, until Richie towards the end uh, is like outwardly, uh, you know, like villainous or outwardly, um, you know, like it, a lot of it, you do feel the the sense of care, like that they do care for her well-being and that they uh, are trying to help like you know luckily that they're rich that they you know are able to like kind of provide all these different options um but the part that you know they go wrong is is that it's you know uh misguided in uh multiple different ways because really it's like they're trying all these things and like okay is it the diet is it this is this and rather than just like truly listening to hunter like because that's the whole thing of like you know if they would just actually like 
listen to Hunter and allow her to have her own dialogue about this situation, you know, they probably could have resolved it a lot quicker, you know, but so it's like they do care, but then they also are kind of going about it in, uh, in from the wrong angle. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's misguided at best. And, um, I think it gets into, um, the fact that they, one of the things that really, I, I guess, it stuck out to me in, in watching it again for this record, but also thinking about what you said and connecting it to like Rosemary's baby and really honing in on that kind of connection. Um, you know, she's just kind of like, with the mom, like giving her the book and her being dressed in a certain way, she's, she's a prop basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the mom is like, well, you're just going to be like me. Um, And she's going to be just like his dad. So copy paste. And um, it is nice to see the mom in law. I think, step outside of that thinking a little bit to be like, all right, let me see how I might be able to help you. Um, it's misguided, but I think there's some genuine, I think, realization of like, I wish someone probably would have done that for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I would say the interactions with the mother are uh, kind of the, you know, closest to like, you, you do feel like, especially the, the diet inducing scene, like, because like, it's like, okay, she is providing an actual tangible, you know, solution that is a good thing, you know? So it's not like, um, it, uh, you know, again, like it's different than the dad paying for therapy and then Richie, uh, you know, bribing the therapist to tell him everything, you know, like the, the mother does kind of have these things, but yeah, you do kind of get the, uh, impl- uh they kind of imply that yeah like uh she was kind of in a, in a similar situation i mean and it's like it richie works for the dad's company and we don't hear anything about like what the mother does for work so yeah she probably uh has gone through pretty much like the exact same situation minus the the pica um you know so uh, it, it is fascinating uh in seeing that and it's like you can almost feel like she does want to do more um, uh, in a way, but is, you know, still kind of, she also has to perform and, you know, and play the role that she has been kind of playing her whole life and, and is, uh, you know, helping or almost trying to mold, uh, Hunter into that same role that she's played. Um, so it's, uh, it, so it's like it, you definitely feel that there is some sort of care, but then it's also like upsetting whenever you're kind of seeing like, oh, like you're also a woman that kind of went through this thing but you are, you know, not supporting me in the way that, you know, you would hope that a fellow woman would, uh, you know, in that situation. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this issue of control, because I think we see this popping up in, I think, multiple ways in this film. And I think going back to you know what are some of the risk risk factors that we can associate with hunter related to pica there's the obvious 
pregnancy. Um, but knowing that this is kind of categorized as an eating disorder. Now, this is where I have to make a very loud disclaimer. I'm not a mental health specialist. I'm only trained enough to be ridiculous and Mm -hmm. say things that make maybe a bit of sense, but I'm not a specialist. I'm not a trained professional. So take, take this bit with that in mind. But oftentimes eating disorders are connected to control um, and issues around control. Uh, Folks will uh, restrict their diet or um, create rituals around food um, because they lack, they feel like they lack control in their life. Um, And so it's one thing we all have to eat. Um, So it's something that you can have that measure of control on. And I'm interested to kind of to dig in to is that something we don't really know anything about Hunter prior to her getting married and what her upbringing was like. But could her pica be associated with a need of control and autonomy of her body. I mean, I, I definitely think so. I think the control goes on a couple different levels um, because, you know, the way that she explains it, like, you know, it's a decision-making thing. Like, you know, they have control over her decisions and it was her. She goes, it's something I wanted to do. I chose it for myself and I did it, you know? So it's, it goes on a uh, decision-making um, it goes on a, a sense of um, a possession or ownership uh, in a way as well, because, you know, again, like uh, Richie treats her like a, a play doll, like the parents are like basically playing house with Richie and Hunter uh, in, a, in a weird way, you know, so it's like there's a possessive way in that versus, you know, doing the uh, with her swallowing things. Um, she treats it almost like a hobby. Like, you know, because like you said, we don't know anything about Hunter. We don't know that all we know is that she likes to play games on her phone. That's literally about it. Like, we don't know what brings her joy, what her hobbies are, what, you know, she likes to do. And it's like, it's kind of like, you know, when you find like a, a, a new sport that you're into and then you're like, oh, hey, this is, you know, doing something for me um, in a in an interesting way. So it's like, this is something that is hers, you know, like this is nobody else's thing. This is her hobby, her thing um, that, you know, is like kind of doing something for her and it kind of um, uh, breaks up her, you know, the the kind of ritual of her life as well, um, you know, so it's like it's uh, kind of does in that way. So, yeah, it, it kind of stems in uh, from control on a few different levels. Yeah, I like what you mentioned about the the break of routine because we get this moment I think it's right after she had consumed the marble um where she you think she's going to tell Richie just straight out like I did something today something a little wild (laughs) and he's he's kind of interested um and then she talks about something else. 
and the so, drapes. <laughs> yeah. Um, because she's only given, you know, these little small outlets of individuality um, to to kind of be her own person. We see her playing games on her phone. Um, so maybe that's something that she enjoys. Um, she mentions the the flower beds in the back. So maybe gardening is something and flowers is something that she enjoys. So I like that even though she is, she really is being kind of controlled and in an environment where she, I think is repressed in a lot of ways, she's still finding these avenues to exert herself to kind of strive and thrive. Um, yeah, it's a it's a ritual that, and now it's a it, it's also a, a ritual that is her own, you know, like exactly. again because like the things that she does, uh, you know, like yeah, like I'm sure that she does, like you know, like there's nothing wrong with uh enjoying picking out furniture or rearranging your house or cleaning it and stuff like that, like that you know people do get enjoyment out of that, um, but this is again it, that still kind of stems from her thinking that she needs to fulfill the uh obligations of this rule you know like again like that's you know like this like kind of 50s housewife thing that she's going for like that's what it was it's like oh i stay at home and i do the upkeep and i you know all these different things um which not to say that uh, again that she doesn't get any out enjoyment out of it but then doing this creates a, a new ritual that again like that she chose for herself like you know because it's very uh systematic and you know she's like i'm doing stuff she swallows it she waits until she shits it out. She pull, you know, digs it out and then cleans it off and then puts it on the thing. And that's like, okay, now time to do that with another object. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a, a new kind of a ritual. And, and that, and that's another thing that like kind of, um, uh, speaks to me as well, because the way that I kind of, um, describe my OCD ticks is like, I, I'm obsessed with patterns and rituals and, uh, things like that. Like, I once, I once had a, I once had a breakdown while I was walking Cal because uh, I have a thing where I don't like to backtrack. I, everything I do, I do in like a circle, uh, you know, like I, I, so like, and he like refused to like go that way. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, this is the path that we're doing. I, I really need you to do this for me to, you know, keep this uh, ritual going of like, hey, like, we're, this is our usual walk. You know this, but you are, you're messing with me. And I literally started crying on the side of the sidewalk because like it, like that, uh, the, the breaking of that ritual that I had established for us, uh, you know, wasn't happening, you know? So it's like um, her, um, you know, kind of, you know, focus on like, you know, that, ritual kind of becoming you know very routine for her um and you can like you know, and there's like a little montage like where they like try to make it all fun where she's like oh yeah she's swallowing all these objects and she's in a great mood and she's all she's got a little pep in her step and you know she's like uh you know she's glowing to a certain degree um because this uh this uh routine you know is being fulfilled and she and she's getting something out of it in that way yeah well and one thing too i find interesting and i would love to hear your take on this um so we get a couple of scenes where she has to have surgery Mm -hmm. um after ingesting these objects one 
which the plot synopsis goes into, which is um, we were with Hunter very early in her pregnancy. And so she's having an ultrasound and they see the baby. And then the tech um, says, uh, there's also something else. I, I don't know what that is. And she's rushed into surgery. Um, what is really interesting to me is that after both scenes where she's had objects, I think it's also after she swallows the screwdriver, um, she has to, because she's choking, I think she has to have it, like, surgically removed somewhere. Um, I, after she's had these procedures, she seems very calm. And, like, well, this is, it's not the ritual for every object, but object went in. I I was able to dictate what it was when it went in, and now object out. I'm feeling okay. It's interesting because I, I, I mean, yes, she's calm, but I also kind of read it as in like kind of like a, she's calm, but she's also like a little... A zone uh, a little checked out after these points as well you know so it's like it's almost like she's kind of lost after you know part of her routine has been interrupted by a factor that of someone else again like it's like she didn't want the surgery but they are saying okay well we need to do the surgery now so it's like she almost kind of feel like she almost seems like empty uh literally and figuratively um but like you know she she seems like kind of hollow after these experiences all like uh yeah she is she she is a little calmer but at the same time it seems like she's like kind of uh like feels like she's like missing something um because her routine has been you know changed in in a certain way that's interesting that that's a see this is why why oh wait hold on Oh, okay. Now it's back. Your your audio like kind of cut for a sec. Oh, um, okay. um, yeah. Um, I, and that's why I, I I asked the question because as someone that has had lots of surgeries, um, afterwards there's both that. I mean, I'm usually very heavily drugged, and so it's like I feel fine, like everything is fine. I just want to sleep. Um, but there's also that this thing has happened and now it's over. Um, so I, you know, again, thinking about how this would play into her ritual. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting, it's an interesting take. Um, and I definitely can see it that way as well. Um, I think another aspect of control, um, I think you put this in the notes, but at the very beginning of the film, so we, we've talked a lot about the way that Richie tries to control or treats Hunter as just like an object in the house that he can kind of move around and, you know, she does whatever he wants, um, but we get a really interesting, I think, 
moment at the very beginning, because I think it's right um, when it's being announced that he's going to take over the family company, his father's company. And he makes the mention that his parents have bought the house that he and Hunter live in. They live in a pretty nice house. It's, it's, I would say it's borderline house porn. Um, but, you know, here's this guy who spends so much time putting on an image because we see him getting dressed in the morning and he gets really mad if, oh, well, this tie, she irons one of the ties that shouldn't have been ironed. And he freaks out because, oh, now I don't have a tie that goes with the shirt. Um, so it's, I, you know, again, with them kind of being copies of his parents, mm-hmm. it just kind of really reinforces that idea. Yeah, I mean, everything has been catered to him his entire life you know like uh, you know he the parent picked out his job he works for his dad's company uh they bought the house you know so like um you know so even him himself is uh kind of a, a a toy in a way but like he he doesn't realize it because it's like kind of all he's ever known you know and so like even when um you know there's you know other scenes too where it's like uh, when Hunter, uh, at his birthday party, like Hunter gets upset that he, you know, told everybody and there's that awkward moment. And then he literally, and she's upset about it, upset about a very serious thing. But then the way he does is, oh, like, don't, don't ruin my birthday, you know? And it's like, um, you know, so it's like, he kind of, yeah, lives in this world where everything is, uh, you know, catered and delivered to him, um uh you know in a very specific way and then you see like when uh that's a you know changed for him like you said like with the with the outfit thing which was just like <laughs> so silly like you know that's that's whenever i like started i was like oh my god this guy you know like yeah. on one hand i get it because i'm very uh particular about like matching things as well but then like he also it's just like bro i can literally see all the other shirts in your closet like in this shot so it's like it's not like oh, I, this was like my last suit for the day or something, you know, he just needed it to be a point to where he could call Hunter out for, you know, not, you know, uh, to doing something that doesn't align with his sensibilities of control, you know? No, I, you're, I, I love kind of the, the through line that you, you put out there with him having been given everything by his parents and really coming from that mentality of being served, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything has to be done for him. And so the fact that someone didn't do something for him in the way he wanted it um, sets him off. And it's, yeah, I, I he's such an, an interesting character because there's a lot of times to where he seems almost caring towards Hunter and and gentle towards her. Not necessarily loving, but like, I care for you. I, I have like what we're building together. I appreciate. 
Um, I'm thinking especially of like the last phone call that they have, which is brutal um, because he is really, I, I think, manipulative, um, which is really what I think it boils down to, to be yeah. like, go ahead. He He's like, he's, he's coded like a child throughout most of the film. You know, so I think that, you know, factors in because I think you're right. Like, I think he does care for her. I think he does love her. Like, obviously, like, it's gotten to a point where they're married. So, like, you know, they have been together, you know, for a certain amount of time, you know, one would assume at this point, Um, you know, and so it's like, yeah, you you can see it. And it's almost like um, I almost I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't blame him because he does still have a part in it, but it is also because like this is what he was taught like this was how he was raised to be so this is what he knows to be like you know so like even in certain points like when he is being controlled and manipulative he's doing it in a very like calm sweet voice you know sometimes uh you know whenever he's like uh you know with the drapes conversation or the or the outfit thing before he like kind of freaks out and then that phone call he's literally throwing a fit like a kid yeah. like like he like kind of just like loses it and he's just like ah, bring me back my baby ah! and he like he literally throws a fit on the phone uh which i love <laughs> just her calm reaction to okay well i have to go now <laughs> and then just yeah she's like oh, i'm hanging up it's been real <laughs> yeah uh so true um and it a moment that also stuck out with me like at the birthday party when she's upset that he has told co-workers because a, a colleague of his says something about like oh I've eaten so much I gotta go and like get my stomach pumped and realizing that oh shit that's probably a really not great slash awkward thing to say to hunter who is having these issues um and so hunter's and understandably upset but richie has this line of i told him because i needed support Mm -hmm. um and that's that's true um having a loved one go through any kind of either mental health issue, uh, physical health issue, whatever the case may be, you need support. And I, I've said this before, like that, that is my, the work that I do. I work for an organization that helps family caregivers. And so it's, you do need support. You do need to have people that you can talk to um, the way that he did it was wrong I think I think you need to be transparent with your loved one and say hey I need people that I can talk to um join a support group or just be upfront about where you're seeking that support so that they understand and they can express to you I'm uncomfortable with you just telling your coworkers about what's going on with me uh how about no 
and we can talk about other places that you can find. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, talk to maybe your best friend about this kind of thing. Cause like, yeah, I totally get it. It's like kind of when you're in a relationship and you go to a friend for advice and you are, you have to fill them in on the situation to a degree. Um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, it, one, it shouldn't be your work colleagues you know unless you are like very close but it's not only just that it's that he told everyone because the 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 chilling part of that scene is everybody goes quiet and is looking because they all know it's not just the 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 gal that made the remark he told everybody in the office that means he's literally just been going around you know so it's like okay if you're being that liberal uh, of talking about it then obviously you don't need support that bad because if it's that easy to talk about and that easy to tell everyone then then yeah no like you, you it's not weighing on you as much as you're trying to make it out to be exactly and i think there's also that again it's just that that connection that you should make which is how would my like how does my partner feel about me sharing this and how would i feel if my partner was sharing this about me to their coworkers and he doesn't have that concern because hunter is isolated the only people that she really has to talk to is his family and him um so it's um I think also then when you factor in the therapist and the fact that he has bribed her to report back to him, it's such a betrayal. Um, And I think you had made the note about, you know, it's not, now we're veering into, it's not just him controlling her body, but really controlling the way that she thinks and functions yeah like he he you know betrays her uh in that way and it's like yeah like it's like we've seen the control in you know her decision making that he and that he exercises um you know there's also like a very stark difference in like the way that she dresses when she's around him versus when she's at home um you know so like there's kind of implications that he you know like uh, has control in that way like so of her physical appearance um but then yeah like now he's like trying to control you know the you know the reformation that she's trying to have uh you know through uh through this therapist which i mean you know and obviously most people know like you know uh you know doctor uh confidentiality is like a, a very huge thing uh whether it be in the medical world or in therapy um so yeah like this kind of betrayal is just kind of you know because you even see it like when they're first meeting the therapist he's like oh no i want to be in the room like i want to sit in on the meetings too it's like uh no like you know like if you truly you know care and are trying to help her make progress um you have to let her do work on her own you know as well so like the fact that he is um you know doesn't even uh trust her enough to you know be able to you know kind of walk this journey on her own um you know uh and do her own work with it is just like you know it's it's uh he it's demeaning in like the way that he thinks about her you know like he you know uh doesn't have you know like the confidence that like oh she can get better like i still need to 
have a hand in it myself, um, you know, which is, you know, very toxic in many ways. Right. And so I, I kind of want to close a loop on this because I think this will get me to the next thing I want to bring up. So the big thing that is disclosed to Richie from the therapist, I guess one of the big things is we, we don't know how it's the only conversation that we see of her reporting back to him mm-hmm. um, is that Hunter had disclosed to the therapist that, you know, she was conceived following her mother's rape. Um, and he, I, I would love to hear your reactions to that. How, like, how he reacts to this, because I found this really unexpected with how he, he handled that information. Yeah. Cause he's, you know, he, um, he's definitely shocked. And the, the interesting thing is like, um, because like kind of the way, you know, we don't really get to hear the full conversation, but it's like, even the way that the doctor like worded it, um, made it almost sound like uh, like whenever she's like it involved a rape and then he like kind of has this face and so it's like you almost think that he assumes that like it was something involving her specifically versus um, you know uh, versus you know what the situation actually happened um, and and then he like you know uh, is like oh hey I'm gonna go to the gym and I also will get you anything you want like what do you want like I, I, I want to give you uh, something um, you know, cause again, like this is what he's been taught is like, oh, things like, you know, I've seen my dad give my mom things. So like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you, you know, things. And, and I remember the first time I saw it, it was very unexpected on how they kind of, uh, tied this in, um, it, you know, because it basically is kind of like saying like, you know, like from even before her conception, she was already having no, control or autonomy or decisions like you know like a basically like you know like she was brought into this world like a kind of you know like against her mother's will so it's like uh so it like really kind of makes it like seem like so deeply rooted that's like yeah. like you know decisions were being made for her uh, aka the dad raping her mom uh is like you know like that was a decision that she wasn't even around to have a part in. And yet it still affects uh, the way that her life is kind of turned out in a way. So yeah, it was, it was unexpected and it's like, it's very interesting. Cause it's like um, it, um, it, it almost like, cause then like the way that comes into, and it is kind of like, it feels detached, but then I remember like being impressed by the way that it was able to kind of, um, come back around and like be integrated in when she does confront um the the guy um yeah so it's a it, it's it's very fascinating on how they brought that in um uh to to kind of tie it in yeah and I just I, this is I think something that Richie was completely not equipped to to think about to handle in any way shape or form and so i think him being thrown off kilter and his reaction being like well things that's how we solve problems right is with money and with objects um so i'm gonna go buy you something 
And I think it speaks to, yeah, I, I do think that Richie cares for her. Um, and I think he's upset of learning this and upset about, you know, what this could mean um, and how it's impacted her. But he has no ability to actually communicate that and say say anything that's truly useful. Instead, it's like, do you want a dress? Do you want shoes? Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you want? It's like, well, that that's not going to make the fact of this is how, like, this is how she was conceived. It's not going to change that. Like, a new dress doesn't change the ramifications and, and implications and impacts of that. So I barely give you a B for effort on that one, Richie. But you, you, I guess you showed up. Um. So yeah, but you know, I I I say that just because Richie's kind of a a complex character, and I find that this is actually a moment where I was like, ah, oh, I kind of see where you're coming from, and I hate it for you. I wish that you would have been brought up in a way that would have equipped you with more emotional fortitude to to handle this. Yeah, because again, his reaction to like is, you know, uh, you know, one of the piece of evidence that does show that like, no, he does care for her. Like you can yeah. kind of see like how like kind of like hurt he is by like, no, you know, finding out this information and just like kind of not uh, you know, knowing what to what to do about it, you know, is, you know, so it's like, again, like you see a glimmer of, you know, the way that he does, in fact, care for her, but he just doesn't know how to properly show it. Yeah, agreed. So, but this gets us into talking about kind of the end bit of the film here. Um, so after she swallowed the screwdriver, chokes, um, and and has to have surgery, they decide to admit her into a psychiatric hospital for the duration of her pregnancy so because they're concerned about the child. And I found this interesting because it was very much about like, we want you to be safe during the pregnancy, almost like she's an incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, that's kind of an icky thing. Maybe there's some genuine care um, for Hunter underneath that. But the way that you're kind of, Raising it and kind of putting it out there for her, it just seems like, oh, you must protect the vessel of this child until the child is born, and then we don't really care. Yeah, that that definitely is like kind of the the way that it was coded because it, um, because even from the beginning, like I mean, yeah, you know, like the the therapy, I think, is like the only thing that they offer that is actually to benefit hunter because even even the diet stuff is still more like her them thinking of oh well if you're diet you know we need your diet to be better because we need it to be better for the baby you know so it's like really all the things are coded in them doing it you know for for the baby versus hunter uh especially like in in that part as well right which is an extension of them right mm-hmm. it's an extension of their family so um 
but she escapes and runs away. Um, she has to figure out where she's going to go. And she reaches out to her mother. And this is really heartbreaking. Um, she calls her mom and is like, I want to come visit. And mom's like, yeah, wish you could. Too bad your sister's here and there's no space for you. Um, it kind of, um, it, it brings up something that I'll get to in a, in a second. So then she opts to go and track down uh, the rapist, her biological father. Um, she's carried this picture of him with her. She's known about him. And um, she just pops up on his birthday um, and makes her way into to the family function. I wanted to get your take on on kind of this confrontation that she has with him. Because I think in a lot of ways, this can seem to signify a sense of closure for her. But I'm not for sure if it does. I mean, so... I mean, I think it is, I don't think it, I don't think that instances brings her closure, but I think it's the start of her, you know, getting the closure because the, the, you know, whenever she uh, mentions to the therapist, you know, and like tells her about, you know, how she was conceived and all these things. And she's saying it in a very nonchalant way. And like, you know, and you almost do believe it whenever she's like, no, I'm like, it's fine. I'm past it. But then when this, you know, um, this uh, instant, you know, with the when the pika shows up, uh, then it's like, okay, like, well, yeah, I was passive. But then it's like when she's trying to figure out, you know, the different reasons on why this is happening. Now it's like, oh, well, maybe like, you know, so this is like an effect that, you know, that she hasn't had until this comes up. So it's like, I believe that like until this has come up, she probably hasn't really thought too much about him. Like, yeah, she carries the picture. Um, and you know, but like, you know, I, I get the implication that she really hasn't until now she does need, uh, to actually, you know, kind of confront this and to make sure that like, oh, like, is it, you know, is what I'm doing because of him, uh, in, in some degree, like, did he pass something on to me or like something like that? Um, so I think this is like, you know, it's the, it's the start um of her uh kind of road to uh like because now it's like okay well i can check off that it you know this isn't because of you know that guy you know so i can check that off the list now now i can move on to the next you know part of my journey of trying to uh figure out you know what what uh uh compels me to to do these things um but i mean but that scene is absolutely fantastic i remember watching that in the theater just like bawling because like yeah. i mean uh shout out dennis o'hare coming in for two scenes and just like fucking i mean really delivering and um it, it, it was still you know it was still satisfying because like it was also a point where she was taking control of the situation she's like no like this is how i want to have this altercation 
this is how I want to have this interaction. You're going to let me do it. Like whenever again, when she's like, say I'm in charge, you know? Exactly. Um, it, yeah. So it's like, you know, it was a, a big step to just like put something on, you know, her, on her level and her terms. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, I think, detail to pull out is that she starts their conversation after his wife and kid leave, which by the way, uh, his wife is played by Lauren Velez, AKA Detective Maria LaGuardia from (laughs) Dexter my one of my all-time favorite shows and one of my all-time favorite characters so always a treat to see her um and she's literally in just for seconds um but you're exactly right in that she starts their confrontation with saying i'm in control like note this put it out there verbalize it i have the control in this exchange And I, this is so different from how Hunter has handled the other, I think, instances of confrontation. Yeah, she gets, she gets to make a choice, you know, like he like even starts it off, starts the interaction off like, so are you going to ruin my life? Like, she easily could, you know, like in that very moment. Um, you know, she could make things a lot harder for him. And she's like, mm, I haven't decided yet. Uh, yeah. you know, which is like fantastic because like throughout the whole movie, she's never even had the option to think of, you know, a decision, you know, to, it's always been already made up for her. Uh, so I really love that. Um, you know, the way that she like kind of, uh, sets that up and, yeah. and, um, you know, uh, it, it, it was very, very interesting of, in the, you know, in the questions that, you know, she asks him, like, you know, am I like you? And he's like, I don't know, you know, because like, I haven't been there or enough to impact you uh, in a, in a certain way. So like, I, you know, like whatever it is that you are going through, uh, no, like you're not inheriting it from me, you know, and it's, but it's also not your fault either, you know, which I, you know, uh, that, that whole conversation is just so powerful. It is. And she she really is coming at him with three different questions mm-hmm. um, that she wants to, you know, I, I think when we talk about closure, I think closure just in terms of being able to kind of really put the stamp on this aspect of her life, these lingering questions that she may have about this, about what happened to her mom. And so she... You know, she wants to know, do you have remorse for what you did? She wants to understand that he feels bad for what he did. Um, She wants to make sure that while he feels bad about what he did, that he doesn't kind of tag that onto her. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there. I mean, there is like a, some, like, even though he, you know, very much says like, no, you're, you're not like me, but at the same time, like there is kind of a moment um, where, you know, that whenever she asks why, 
and he like says like because i i it made me feel powerful so it's like he does have you know uh he at one point had a sense of a desire for control and that's what she is looking for um you know in a in a but just in a different way you know so it's like you know it's like oh like she's like okay yeah like maybe i swallow things but like uh on my quest for control i'm not going around raping people so i'm not like you you know even though like you know there's um you know a similar uh um i mean it's like it's it's there but it's not the the reason like you know yeah well and i think to me, and and this was just thought that I had in watching it again today, because I really, I was really powerfully moved by just the brief phone call that she has with her mom, and then going to have this confrontation with her biological dad. It made me think about what her relationship is like with her mom if she feels like her mom regrets having her um looks at her a certain way treats her a certain way based on the the aspects of her conception um you know because it's very clear that it's like no your sister's here um want your sister here not necessarily you so I wonder if this has been kind of a theme because she she I think she's wanting to make sure that not only is the fact that this guy you know is part of her DNA and hasn't she hasn't inherited or been passed down something from him but just that you like are, do you regret that I'm in the world? Are you upset that I'm in the world? Um, because I think that maybe my mom is, and he's like, I'm not in your life. So no, I'm. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's almost still like a, you know, uh, addition by subtraction to it because, um, you know, she explains to the therapist like early on that, like, um, she, like her mother didn't get the abortion cause she's like super right-wing conservative Christian, um and yeah so like there is a degree of that and you definitely can um you know it it says a lot between like the way that she describes her mother and then that phone call like it's so crazy how like not even seeing this lady's face but yet I want to punch it (laughs) like yeah you know is uh kind of wild but uh in just the way that you kind of uh do get this sense that like there has been um some sort of disconnect um, and it also comes from the the mother, you know, at one point, um, you know, thinking that she doesn't have the control to make the decision that like, hey, I was raped and I'm impregnated by this man. And like, I could make the choice to not do it. But like, the, even the mother is disillusioned in thinking that she didn't have a choice because of her beliefs, um, it, you know, and then that's why she's still there. Yeah. So it was like, it was so awful that like, you know, like she literally says like, Hey, it's an emergency. And the mom still just goes, uh, just no room. Uh, sorry. It's just like, what? Uh, it's uh, very, very upsetting. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking and you can just see her feel defeated by that moment but again it's like i i have a feeling that this is just 
the dynamic of their relationship. And so I think wanting, I just get a read from putting that together plus kind of her approach with William is kind of like she's wanting a certain bit of validation of like, I'm not a mistake. I'm not a waste. Um, I'm, I'm useful and good in this world. Um, someone wants me. Um, and it's so sad. Um, but I, I like that this, that the interaction with William happens after that phone call because I, I think it is a bit of strength for her um, to to be in that moment to not only take control of the confrontation in and of itself, but to get the information that she wants, to to get that understanding that she sets out to get. Um, it is great. And yeah, Dennis O'Hare is so stellar in just these few moments and he talks about you know and she tells the therapist but again we we come back to this here that he did his time um he was identified caught did his time um has apparently kept his nose clean following um and but, you know, he talks about some horrific experiences that he had in prison. Um, so I think that she's like, all right, he regrets it. He did his time. Now I can walk away. Yeah, it's it's crazy because it's like, you know, uh, I can't really think of too many films where you, you do hear a rapist like kind of come out and, you know, like admit like what he did was awful that he uh got what he deserved uh you know like you know a lot of people know the way that you know people in prisons treat rapists and pedophiles like it's not it's not a good time for them in there it really isn't like and the way he described it is just like woof you know and it like yeah. you know like took him down that like oh no i learned that i was not powerful i was not a god you know for the things that i did and I think her in getting all this information, um, again, is, you know, ultimately still leading up to a choice. Uh, you know, she, because if this, you know, if she got certain, if, if like, you know, there is a part where he's like, oh, no, I'm not uh, ashamed or I'm not regretful or like says like, you know, some, like any of those things, then it's like, oh, that's going to be her decision and be like, okay, yep, I actually am going to ruin your life. But, um, but yeah, like it, it definitely all just plays into that. Like she is again, making this realization that like so much of her life and so many of the things around her, um, have been impacted based on, you know, decisions, you know, of making choices, you know, whether it be her mother, not having the choice of, you know, like, you know, obviously that happening to her and resulting in her, um, uh, whether it be the parents, you know, it's like, it, it all culminates into, um, you know, that this whole, you know, thing has been about, you know, making choices, whether it be her making the choices to swallow these objects, or her making the choice to, you know, uh, have this uh, confrontation that, you know, she didn't know if she uh, truly needed or not, but she decided it for herself. Yeah, well, and I think 
this ties into, and, and I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on how this closes the film. So after she has this confrontation with William, she leaves. Our next scene is her in a doctor's office getting the medication to end her pregnancy. Then we get the pregnancy ending and um, that's the end of the film. Literally, the film ends in a shot of the mall bathroom, which I think is such um, a, a brilliant way because you just see all of these other people in the bathroom moving about life. Um, and I don't know. They, but all of that to say, like, she made, like, this is really kind of, for her, a whole reclamation of mm -hmm. herself to say, okay, I wait and I had this confrontation. Like, I left, I left my husband, and in the conversation that Richie has, he says, when he's insulting her, he's like, this is the best you're ever going to get. Like, I'm rich. You had a great house. I bought you lots of things. You never wanted in that way. And so you're not going to have that again. Um, but she, I, I'm sure for anyone, like, that is a factor. Like, no one wants to feel insecure about, you know, money and food and, and all the things that are necessities in life. And so, um, but she makes the choice of, no, I'm not coming back to you because she could have. Um, and then the choice to go and have this confrontation with William and then the choice to say, well, I don't want to uh, carry this pregnancy to term. So now I can make this choice about my body this way as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I like that it also comes full circle with, you know, the what we've been watching that like, you know, that it is medication by swallowing like you know mm -hmm. like uh you know so it's like her now making a decision for herself like but you know ultimately like gonna be a positive for her because i think this is you know this is what she wants uh you know and all these things and the shot uh the decision to like end it in the bathroom of this uh very public place was fascinating because like you kind of look back on the rest of the film like she you know rarely leaves the house like you know the only time yeah. we see her outside the house is either at the therapist's office or like the one scene that they go to dinner otherwise she's been kind of isolated in uh the, this house you know so it like kind of is also like this like kind of visual metaphor of her uh rejoining the world you know like yeah. of you know like being surrounded by other people that are just not richie's family or people trying to control her or make decisions for her. like she is now just amongst the rest of the world with everyone else uh going through everyday life making small decisions for themselves and i think it also like has you know because like there's a kind of a you know i think 
it's very distinct that like all the different women that we see coming in and out of this bathroom, like are all different. Like they all look different. Like they're, you know, we got different colors, different sizes, um, all these things. And it kind of, you know, uh, like kind of hits on like, Hey, like there's people every day, you know, like going through certain things that you have no idea about. Like they, you know, like the, the person that you're washing your hands next to could be, you know, somebody that like, was uh like in a toxic relationship or like just the uh anonymity of like oh yeah like you don't know that like someone in the bathroom that you're with like just you know uh went through with their abortion <laughs> like you know like you yeah. you don't know um you know based on like you know the way that people look because like if people would have seen her you know uh previously like when she's you know all dolled up and her like fancy dresses and clothes and all these things like nobody would assume that she is kind of going through the the pain and trials that she's going through. Uh, so I, so yeah, the, the ending uh, works really well for me. Yeah. So spot on because I think anyone who's going through any kind of challenge because, you know, again, PICA is associated with mental health issues can be connected to um, some other kind of health related things, but is identified as being a mental health disorder. Um, And these can be very isolating because you feel like you're going through this all alone. Um, And that's been Hunter's journey. She's had to go through all of this by herself. Um, And the people that she thought she could trust or people that were kind of these outsiders that she could confide in kind of betrayed her or she didn't feel like she was able to uh, speak up for herself because I mean, obviously with the therapist, which you've talked about, but even in the medical setting, when she's had to go in and have surgeries, she didn't have control over that. They were Mm -hmm. emergency procedures. And so, you know, her going into the doctor's office, making this choice, saying this is what I want to do, having an understanding of how it's going to work, and then doing it in a place with other people around. And maybe she is thinking along the lines of what you talked about, maybe not, but, you know, there's, you know, if you stay in that bathroom long enough, someone's going to cross through in that path that has had a similar situation to what you're going Mm -hmm. through. Um, And so you're not alone. Um, And, and I find that very powerful. And I think again, just the fact that we now see her outside of the house, we see her outside of like the fifties style kind of dresses and garb that she would wear the, the more fancier stuff. And she's just dressed like anyone else at a mall. Um, I think it just shows that she's starting to kind of find a different path for herself and find comfort in that. So I, I think it's a very powerful, powerful ending. Yeah. Like in, in a very quiet way, you know, and I love how they just like let the credits run through the whole Mm -hmm. thing too. uh, And just like you see all these different people and it's like, uh, you know, it's very, very, very interesting, um, you know, but but quiet and very powerful uh, ending for the film. Yes. All right. So 
I think we've talked through all of the main beats. Anything, any kind of final thoughts on the film to kind of bring us home? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like I think, you know, from what we've mainly talked about and how I can relate back to me is like, you know, it's the, you know, it's about making decisions, uh, you know, for yourself in an interesting way. And, you know, even though there are points where some of my ticks or compulsions are kind of out of my control, I also am able to, you know, still make these things for myself as well and make these conscious decisions. So it's like, in forming these, uh, again, like rituals and routines of, you know, me. So it's like, a, it's a, making choices to make these kind of compulsions manageable uh, in a way, you know? And so like, I think, you know, that's kind of partially what it uh, goes into. Um, and I, I definitely, yeah, like uh, it, it's just very fascinating and like, you know, in, in a very different, you know, seeing someone in a very different scenario, but still being able to relate to it and kind of feel uh, seen in the, in this way uh, is uh, very fascinating because again, like my, my biggest fears is, you know, the, the me not, you know, being able to make decisions for myself, you know, and, um, and these kind of things and, you know, and not letting, um, you know, these compulsions or things that are out of my control, you know, uh, cover up the fact that it's like, no, I do still have choices in the world, you know, like regardless of what um, certain compulsion that I, uh, you know, uh, struggle with at times. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, it's like, even if it is, you know, um, I have to adjust in some of those decision makings, like at least I am still able to make them myself, even if it is, you know, coming, coming in a, in a way of like, you know, like, you know, things that, you know, finding the small things that are satisfying to you as well. Well, absolutely. Um, and, you know, connecting it to, I think, your own experience is, is I think, really important because um, in reading a little bit about just the background of the film, the director was inspired by his grandmother's experience with OCD. Um, and how she had been institutionalized at one point um, and had undergone um, electroshock therapy, insulin shock therapy, uh, a lobotomy. Um, And, you know, he, uh, what I was reading said, you know, he understood that uh, her main, uh, I think, kind of manifestation of her OCD, which was hand-washing, is not something that is highly cinematic. And so he's like, how, mm. how can I take these ideas, the story, um, and make it relatable and, and still kind of hit on some of these, these experiences of my grandmother. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing a little bit about, you know, kind of what, what you go through, because I think, and being able to share some of that, it just gives a much more richer, I think, understanding of what a lot of the meat of the story is is trying to get at. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm definitely glad that um I was able to to revisit this and uh and be able to, you know, kind of form those connections. Uh before we go, I I have a question for you. Um of of the uh throughout the film of the objects that Hunter swallows. 
which one of them would you be compelled to swallow? Like whether it be like via texture or something like that. Cause like, not gonna lie. I've thought about putting batteries in my mouth before. Like, I don't know why <laughs> Like there's something about that. Like, I'm like, yeah, that is kind of an interesting, like it's like kind of heavy, but smooth. And then like, uh, like, you know, so like what, what, what would be uh, the items that she swallowed? Would you be compelled to swallow? That is a question. <laughs> um, I I would have to say there's something there's something compelling about the mini screwdriver. Mm. Um, because I think there's an understanding of the of the additional risks. Not to say that swallowing a marble, I think from a texture standpoint, I like boba tea. So right. <laughs> I, I, to me, it would just be like some rough boba. Um, so that I think it would be okay. But there's just something about like the, you know, if I swallow this and I don't die, what what a trip i used to do this weird thing back in uh i guess it would probably be in like middle school or so or maybe even like late elementary uh somewhere in there um i used to eat gum with the wrapper on i don't know like what it was it was like uh like kind of gives the gum like a little extra texture a little more (laughs) substance to it and like people thought it was so odd and i was just like I, I don't know why I want to do this, but I do. And I, it, it was very uh, fascinating. So like, I just kind of thought about that whenever I'm um, rewatching this. Yeah. It's, no, that, that is an interesting question. And I think honestly, ask that question at different points in, in time. And just like with her, I think it's going to be, kind of points of well this is how i'm feeling now i'm feeling like i want to eat this book (laughs) um or you know i'm feeling a little risky let's see that thumbtack um so yeah i no that's a great question um all right so now comes everyone's favorite time of a podcast where it's plugs uh Devon, it has been such a treat to have you here. I'm so excited that we were able to make this work. Um, and I'm glad that we were able to have one-on-one uh, kind of a conversation. Not to say that the conversations that we have had over at the pod and the pendulum haven't been absolutely mind-blowingly fantastic, but it's just been us. I think it's been a blast. Um, but where can people find you tell us a little bit about what you're what you're working on where people can find you to hear more from you yeah um as you mentioned at the very beginning i am uh the co-host and producer of the specter cinema club uh podcast Uh, i host that with my buddy garrett mcdowell and the focus of that is uh dissecting horror movies through their subgenres um, you know, so that's kind of the way we uh, filter our conversation, you know, kind of going from one overall theme for the month. And then we kind of uh, break 
And then we break it down even further underneath that because, you know, there's uh, so much variety in the subgenres of horror um, and kind of the way that they uh, make them make make it up a little bit, you know. So it's like in this one, we definitely probably would have shot. We would have shouted out the body horror. Um, I would have shouted out like social cringe horror for Swallow as well, like because like some of these like moments are just like very uncomfortable <laughs> in that kind of way. And uh, yeah, so uh, so that's what we do over there. And so currently we are. um going through possession movies uh, as we uh, celebrate the 50th anniversary of the exorcist at the end of the month. Uh, so we got um, a couple of different uh, types of possession movies over there. Some of them are like the standard religious ones, but then we also have uh, uh, event horizon, a haunted possessed ship in space. So, uh, you know, we, we have, we're tackling it from a, a few different angles there. Um, and then, yes, of course, uh, definitely check out uh, uh, the episodes that we have done of Pot and Pendulum together. And uh, and uh, yeah, and I might have a I got another podcast coming in 2024. So uh, keep your guys eyes out for that. Uh, you can follow me on social media um, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox at underscore Daddy Disco and uh, at Spectre Cinema is the uh, socials for the podcast. And all that will be in the show notes. I cannot recommend uh, Spectre Cinema Club enough. It is incredible. Um, I love what you guys do there. So I'm very excited for all of the possession goodness coming. Thank you. And I'll and we'll definitely be getting you on over there as well. You know, yeah. complete the complete the the pod triangle uh, that we got as as needs to be done. Um, but yes, also check out the episodes that Devon is on over at the Pod and Pendulum. Uh, he is incredible and I think just brings a lot of, I think, not just great conversation, but you're very fun and just a yeah. joy. To not, not too many jokes in this episode, <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, so you could definitely hear some more, uh, more of the more fun, uh, funnier conversations o- over on those other shows. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, all that will be in the show notes. Please check out um, Spectre Cinema Club, Pod and the Pendulum, and follow uh, Devon on the socials. Um, yeah, a huge shout out, as always, to... Anatomy of a Scream and the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad, the heart and the home of bodies of horror. Um, always grateful to be part of such an amazing network and an amazing lineup of shows. Um, so I, I, I kind of stopped just plugging specific shows because there's new ones that pop up all the time. <laughs> um, and I love them all. So just make sure you're subscribed. If you're here, I'm assuming that you are. Um, but make sure you're subscribed because there's new stuff coming down the pike all the time. Uh, if you want to follow me on the socials, I am at Bodies Horror on Twixt, Twitter, or X, whatever you opt to call it. I am at Bodies of Horror Podcast on Instagram, which I've very much enjoyed uh kind of dipping my toes uh over there um uh, it's just kind of fun and light and uh bodies of horror over at blue sky so all of that will be in the show notes you can also shoot me an email if you have uh films or just thoughts and feelings that you want to share um on this film or if there's something that you're like hey this might be a, 
a film that would be interesting to hear about from the particular lens of disability, um, shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. So thank you for listening and until next time. Scream Pod Squad.